This episode of Best Girl Grip is sponsored by Share Her Journey, the Toronto International Film Festival's initiative to increase participation, skills and opportunities for women behind and in front of the camera. You can also join the movement at shareherjourney.org. Hello and welcome to Best Girl Grip the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and happy bonfire night. I hope whatever your plans are, there are fireworks, be they literal, spiritual, or creative. It feels quite apt because it has to be said, I always feel quite ignited and inspired after having these conversations, and it's always been my hope that that experience translates for my listeners as well. For this week's episode, I sat down with Elise McCabe, who was Director of Narrative Film at Kickstarter and was formerly Deputy Director at Doc Society, aka BritDoc, to talk about what excites her about crowdfunding, how filmmakers can optimise their campaigns, and the importance of building communities. This was a really lovely chat, and it honestly made me want to crowdfund a creative project like right now, so if you need that wake-up call, this is definitely the podcast episode for you. This is episode 33 of Best Girl Grip. took a gap year and then I went to UCL and I studied anthropology Mm. Um, I originally wanted to study human sciences but I just didn't have enough science (laughs) in my A-levels and so I was like looking around for what was what felt like kind of you know content wise and tonally sort of similar to that Mm. and anthropology was it we shared lots of classes with that other course but and it was like the best choice it's funny how you can make what felt like at the time relatively uninformed choices Mm. and they're spot on, you know? Yeah, actually it's interesting. A couple of people I've spoken to have done anthropology degrees and I think actually that's a really interesting like route into filmmaking because they're about human stories. It's totally and that is and I and that's and and I knew it at the time as well that that's what I liked about it. I was like, it's amazing. It's all about people, and yeah. you know, and that and that course in particular is really cool. It's funny. It's a long time ago now, but I still have you know very um, kind of clear thoughts about it. But that course is kind of a pretty even split between sort of more social anthropology and material culture and biological anthropology. And those two subjects are completely different, but found, I think I found them equally as interesting. But that's also where like Open Docs Film Festival is kind of comes out of yeah. that unit and it, you know the they have a bunch of amazing courses there yeah. and like I don't know it felt like a kind of accident but was a really good one a happy one yeah. yeah and do you have career aspirations at that point did you kind of know where you wanted to take it or you were sort no of I've never yeah I've never had a really <laughs> I've never had a really clear sense of what direction I was going in <laughs> The most consistent thing I did from really young was acting from, I mean, I can remember really clearly loving it from, you know, six or seven or eight. And it, and I, and that was what I spent most of my time doing throughout my teens, throughout university. Theatre, um, like on stage. I yeah, think. yeah, exactly. And then also did some directing um, in my, must have been my third year, actually, kind of organised my courses so that I didn't have any, hardly anything to do in the first, the first term of my <laughs> final year. So I could just direct this enormous musical. Uh So that was kind of the most consistent thing. So when I finished at UCL, I went straight to drama school. 
after that uh, I went to Lambda and did their postgraduate course mm-hmm. and I always thought that was again a bit of an mm-hmm. anomaly but actually looking back on it, it sort of makes perfect sense yeah. to me but I went so I went from anthropology to another two years of drama school and so then I popped out at the end of that yeah in my early 20s so presumably like the world of acting and the world of film was something you were aware of at that stage did you kind of think that there were careers beyond acting or I remember at university like my first year I didn't actually do very I didn't do very much theatre I've remembered I didn't do that much theatre and I didn't really I don't think I'd realised I know this sounds dumb but I don't think I'd realised that acting was like an option and then slowly but surely I watched the people around me and the people in the years above like pop off to drama school so I had an like a ton of friends who went to RADA and Guildhall and Lambda and I sort of suddenly realised it was a path I was allowed to take so yeah I went and was you know kind of a jobbing actor for a few years yeah and then sort of just transitioned to a different side of you know, a different side of film. Mm. And how did you transition, and what was the kind of turning point for you to be like, hmm, acting's not for me anymore? Again, it was a, it was sort of, it was sort of a happy accident. I had wanted to figure out ways that I could pair acting with other kinds of work, which also felt like they were interesting, rather than okay, you're either doing, you're either doing acting jobs you really enjoy, or you're temping. That just felt like a bit of a waste of time really you know you're just earning money in order to pay your rent it felt like a bit of a kind of treadmill but so I was kind of looking around a bunch of different things I was doing more photography I was taking I was taking headshots for friends and yeah it was a funny kind of kind of you know I mean I don't know I was like 25 or something so Mm. piecing together lots of different things that sort of seemed to add up to kind of quite a fun life but um so then I went and did a, a month on a on a documentary in in the US and I was the transport department okay. and I was basically driving black cab up and down the eastern seaboard for this Stephen Fry documentary mm-hmm. Stephen Fry in America my friend Lucy was a producer on it I think or a PA or something <laughs> and and so she was like, I don't suppose you're free for the next month. I was like, actually, I am. Mm-hmm. So ended up picking up a black cab in Chicago, driving it to Maine, and then driving for three weeks all the way down to Virginia. And that, so that was my first job in production on that side of things. I'd done kind of, I'd done acting work. And it was great fun. And did that give you a taste for the production side of things? I think it just gave me a window into a, just a different, like another aspect of film. I remember having a conversation with my friend Bex and being like, Bex, I just really, maybe even just for a few months, want to do a job that that just feels like it's, I mean, well, not necessarily in production, but just felt really meaty and interesting in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And she called me back about 20 minutes later and she's like, you never guess what? These people that I work with at this, at this documentary funding organisation need someone to work on their film festival for three months and I was like great show me yeah. the way so that was the team at Doc Society oh, what is now called Doc Society then it was called Brit Doc and they used to run a film festival called Brit Doc mm-hmm. and so they they needed someone really fast to come and kind of take up a bunch of slack on this film festival running specifically actually this new idea they'd had of this pitching forum for social justice docs called Good Pitch. So it was like a new idea they were like we're just going to give it a go and so off I went and I met them and and you know what I think that's probably like the most for me the most critical 
kind of um, inflection point in my career because I remember really clearly the day I walked in there and just felt like I had just kind of found my people. And you must have been thrown at the deep end though like how did that feel like a really scary like task? Mm -mm. No it was so fun because you know what you know anything like that I mean running a film festival is like being in production you know where the production is the festival rather than rather than a film and so you don't really have time to panic there's just like the train is in motion and you just kind of get on board there's also an enormous amount of very fun and positive energy there and they had done it a couple of years already so although they were as they do always throw new things into the mix I mean that's sort of just the way that those folks operate that sense that they had done this before and it was just I mean I was just doing whatever anybody needed me to do with a smile and quite fast (laughs) and how long did you stay with Doc Society well obviously I didn't know when I walked in there and felt like I found my people that I was going to that I was going to be there for the best part of nine years wow (laughs) (laughs) but that is what that is what happened and kind of in the process was like you know what acting's not for me I really enjoy the craft of it but I'm not suited to the to the lifestyle of the jobbing actor. Mm. It just doesn't suit my personality. And I, I think it's taken me many years to really understand that, you know, and looking back on it and reflecting on it. I kind of went I went in as a sort of like just do whatever we ask you to do and I and I left as deputy director. Right. So you kinda of worked your way up that I'm doing various different roles. Yeah, and the you know, and the organization shifted and changed loads over that time mm. the, you know where they got you know where they got their funding from and you know I mean I learned obviously an enormous amount and it was really they are a very dynamic crew so it was mm. very fun to be dynamic with them what was the biggest thing that you learned kind of working in that organization I think just watching a group of people operate with a real sense of purpose and a sense of determination was just amazing. Jess, CEO, Brittock CEO, Jess's mum was somebody that we all knew when we when we worked there. And she had a and she had a saying which was jump and the net will appear. And, you know, and I know that Jess kind of I mean that was her mum's phrase, but it's definitely something that she lives by as well. And like and the organization operates like that as well. Like we will decide where we want to go and then we'll figure out how to get there. But we're not going to let the apparent obstacle of getting there stop us from setting off yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and from there did you go to kickstarter straight away yeah so i was so i was with that team for about 7 years in london and and then i guess after about 6 years we were doing more and more work in the us and so it just kind of began to emerge that maybe the next good move was to open an office there you know that was offered to me as a as an option and um maxine one of the founding directors and i moved over to open up that office in 2015 in new york in new york yes and what was that change of pace like really interesting <laughs> really interesting because it's interesting you use the word pace because doc society is a, is a place with a with a with a very fast pace mm. And there is a lot going on at any given moment. And it was very interesting moving to a different country on a different timeline and just not being in the kind of cut and thrust of the day to day that actually what I felt was I was able to, it was much easier to set my mind on a task and do it because I just wasn't quite in the firing line mm. of like the, the 10, 15, 20 conversations that were going on simultaneously. And so and so actually I could be like, you know what, the first two hours of the day I'm going to do this and I could actually do it so in a weird way although 
you know, although we were in a kind of in a new space in a new market, somehow the kind of day to day pace of it actually chilled out a little bit just because, yeah, people couldn't see me. Did you almost have to like build a brand from scratch a little bit like in that you had to yeah, establish Doc Society in America? I think yes and no. The quote unquote brand that wasn't so recognisable was the kind of the company name. But the piece that was really recognisable was our main project, which was Good Pitch, because actually we had run a sizable Good Pitch and they had just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I think every year for about seven, six, seven years in um, in New York, as well as ones in San Francisco right. and I can't remember where else, as well as the international programme as well, and like India and Jakarta and, and all the rest of it. So so that Good Pitch brand was was quite familiar. And the piece of education around it was, was showing that actually this is a programme of this kind of larger umbrella organisation. And also educating people. When I went over there, the company was still called BritDoc. And although BritDoc had been funding internationally for most of its existence, somehow just the use of the word Brit in that name just made people think like, you fund British filmmakers. You are British, you're based in Britain, and you fund British filmmakers. So I think that was the piece of education to be done as well, was this kind of like, actually, no, we are an international organisation based in multiple places. We run programmes internationally and we fund internationally as well at all stages of production. And what do you love most about doing that work? I think what I've always loved the most is work is kind of working with filmmakers. And I loved working with documentary filmmakers in particular. I loved the work that they were producing. I found them to be and find them to be the just, you know, just just a wonderful kind of group of people. I mean, not that they are a kind of like monolithic group, but like, yeah, I, I just have found some of the finest people in the world to be documentary filmmakers so I think just yeah watching uh, the project that I worked on the most was Good Pitch that was my most kind of consistent project and so watching those films from you know sometimes they pitched at really early stages and you know watching those films roll out and all of the work that you know the amazing work that they did around those projects over the course of several years was just kind of one just really wonderful Um, and then to be able to reconnect with people later on subsequent films and you know just kind of nurturing that or being a, a part of the nurturing process to get those films made I mean I know you're not uh, directly in documentary anymore but do you do you still feel quite positive about the state of documentary funding yeah I mean I still although strictly speaking I'm the director of narrative film I mean not even strictly speaking I just am but um I do still like you 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 don't lose the the kind of eight nine years worth of connections for you know so wherever I go I bump into documentary filmmakers and I'm always kind of I you know I'm always really excited to see what's on in the doc section of a of a of a film festival has it all I also make pretty regular trips to some of the like I'm I have been to True False film documentary film festival in Missouri every year for about eight years where I just kind of gorge myself for for four days Uh, this week I'll go up to Maine for well I guess it's down from here but yeah go to Maine for uh, Camden International Film Festival which is also a documentary so I'm I I, well yeah foot maybe even (laughs) maybe even a couple of feet um but yeah so I feel you know, it's a very, yeah, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting funding landscape at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a bunch, you know, co- also coming through Kickstarter, we've seen a bunch of kind of projects that have been funded in very interesting ways. Can you talk a bit about that? Like what you do at Kickstarter, um, your your vision for what you do there? So at Kickstarter, I primarily work with 
narrative filmmakers mm. and and I work across all um, formats and genres so the whole the whole gamut and I do a mixture of things but a lot of what I do is working one-on-one with filmmakers to make sure that the projects that they are going to run on Kickstarter are successful and I don't just mean successful in terms of like just about making what they need to make but it's actually like overall a holistically enjoyable and generative experience mm. it's all very well getting the money that you need and that's and that's great but if it hasn't been if you haven't got something else out of it as well then I feel like you know we have sort of collectively missed the mark like it is possible to run really effective campaigns that get you the money that you need but they also build uh, build up a, a, an interested and committed and excited community and that you come away maybe with a little bit more than what you needed in terms of the financing but also like this great kind of like pool of committed committed backers who are then going to go on and kind of stay by your side for subsequent film projects whether or not you fundraise for them on Kickstarter mm. and then just the kind of enjoyable part of also working with our kind of industry partners whether that's distributors or film curators, programmers, to kind of point to the interesting things that have come up through Kickstarter. Obviously, it is one type of funding source, and sometimes the folks who come through Kickstarter haven't necessarily gone through some of the other routes, some, maybe some of the more tr- sort of traditional routes. And therefore, it's sort of always fun to to let programmers know, well, this, I don't know if, I don't know if this these films have you know, come your way yet, but this is what's been exciting for us over the last 12 months. And sometimes, you know, they can find some real gems in there. And does every film that starts a campaign on Kickstarter come to you if they're, you know, under the narrative banner? No, definitely not. I mean, we have probably, I don't know, between, depending on time of year, two to 500 films um, live on the site at any given moment. And there's two of us on the film team. So the projects that I uh, usually, that that will kind of come across my desk are either ones that I've kind of actively sought out because I've met them at a market, you know, maybe I've met them at TFI Network, at Tribeca, you know, those kind of 20 minutes speed meetings or the same thing at Infer and, you know, Meat Market, Sheffield for Docs or, or IFP Week, which is coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So that's a really great place for us to meet with filmmakers who might be like in exactly the right stage you know to be running a campaign and have already been sort of vetted by our trusted partners so we do lots of I'll meet lots of filmmakers there we have like just a generic email address which you know if people are savvy enough mm. to email to find film at kickstarter.com they drop us a line I'll always look at those ones um, there are always some projects that kind of rise to the top a bit maybe they raised a ton of money on their first day or you know they sort of uh, or or literally our 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 algorithms recommend them to me because right. they are a bit like projects that I've backed before. Okay. So there's kind of lots of ways that projects can sort of surface either through kind of active outreach because I'm on the outreach team, you know, for my part, or they sort of bubble up through the site. Audience design seems to be a really big thing at the moment. I'm hearing it a lot about thinking about your audience as early as possible. And it seems to me that filmmakers could do well to sort of treat every project as if they're crowdfunding it even if they're not like building that community and I wonder how you encourage filmmakers to do that like what are some 
yeah, like tools that you kind of give to- them. Totally. I think people are always asking me like, oh, how long will it take me to prepare my you know project? And I'm like, well, honestly, you've probably been thinking about this project for quite a long time and you could probably bash out a, a page, you know, on Kickstarter actually quite quickly, you know. Rewards going to take a little bit longer because you're going to have to think really hard about who your audience might be and then tailor some things for them. But the thing that's going to take the time is really like mapping out your your potential audience starting with the people that you know and then kind of building out from there. So yes, I think you're right. I mean, I think that I think that a crowdfunding campaign looks a lot like any other kind of, you know, marketing, PR, advertising campaign and it needs that kind of work. You need to know who this project is for and the more specific you can be, the more successful you can be. It doesn't always you know, let's say we're thinking about, um, you know, a narrative or a documentary short, it might not take that many people to to fundraise to get that thing funded. So you can never be too specific, but you can definitely be not specific enough, you know, being like, oh, I think... I think this project's for kind of guys between 18 and 28. I'm like, well, that's just (laughs) so many people. (laughs) So two things I would encourage people to do. One is to be like really thorough in preparing your kind of contact list, like literally pulling together everyone that you have worked with before, that you know directly, that you know indirectly, you know, and getting that into one massive spreadsheet and kind of like, and if you have to bucket people into sort of different kinds of interest groups or different you know, people who you think have the capacity to um, pledge different levels of money, you know, whatever the thing is, like get it all in one place so you can just trigger it. And then the other work is really thinking creatively about, yeah, who is like, who is this project for and where do they live online? Kickstarter obviously is an online tool mm. and it's and it works best online. Not, it doesn't work solely online, but like, and so really figuring out where, you know, who are the people, who are the people I'm after? What are they interested in? What, what do they read? Who do they read? What journalists are they into? Um, what forums do they hang out on? Where do they get their news from? You know, and being pretty forensic about that and kind of really drilling down. I kind of tend to tell people, like, think of like the three super specific communities that you're after and then kind of build a picture of them, you know, of them online. And 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 that's the other piece of work work to kind of really try and get the people who are going to be excited about your film it's not going to take a ton of people but but you just got to find those ones that are you're really speaking to yeah and then that can advocate on your behalf totally and you know for some projects it's easier than others you know like documentary does really well on kickstarter Mm. and and the and the documentaries that have done the best and by best I'm talking in this you know in this instance about you know raise the most money which isn't the best necessarily but like the ones that have done the best in that sense are often the ones that have you know uh, figures that people are that are really well-known figures so whatever they're the Ursula K. Le Guin documentary the the Joan Didion documentary the documentary about Dr. Spock or Bill Mm, Knight you know so it's like those those are the ones because they know exactly who their audience is and they and 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 that audience is a little bit more easy to target it's obviously a bit more of a challenge when you're talking about a kind of a moving narrative short that you know doesn't feature an actor that anyone's heard of and you haven't shot a single frame of yet Mm. you know so you have to kind of scale your aspirations accordingly but um every film has its audience yeah 
that actually brings back weird memories of working on the online campaign for for the, for the love of Spock mm. and spending a lot of time on Star Trek forums mm. and Reddit with yes trackies. exactly <laughs> and you were talking a bit about like success and what's done the best but what are some standout campaigns for you in terms of anything that's been quite unconventional or their campaigns have been quite nifty or just anything you're really proud that has kind of gone on a big journey yeah I mean the one that leaps to mind for me and and which may be not 100% appropriate because I actually haven't finished the film yet but I'm just so excited about it is the animated mind of Oliver Sacks which which will be a film I mean I'm touting someone else's film and I don't know how they're getting on but whatever which takes basically a decade worth decades worth of interviews with the neurologist Oliver Sacks and is combining that documentary work with some beautiful animation and so it will be this kind of animation documentary hybrid and I don't know I just really like my colleague Liz met with um, the filmmaker Dempsey but and I met them and really loved them and like and and Liz and I would have these conversations we really hope they run a campaign just because we would love we love this film and we'd love to you know see how well it could do and they just put together this great beautiful brilliantly articulated campaign and they knew who their audience was and you know they raised a hundred thousand dollars uh yeah a hundred hundred and twenty thousand dollars i uh am a big swimmer i love swimming and i backed uh the project for um a swimming hat (laughs) which i wear with pride Um, I have worn with pride all summer because in uh, New York City public pools you have to wear a swimming hat. <laughs> so it's got a picture of Oliver Sacks on one side okay. and it's got the film title on the other. Okay. And people always, like, I get to the end of a lap and they're like, what's that hat? Yeah. Someone said, oh, was that Steve Zizou? I said, no, it's not. <laughs> it's Oliver Sacks. So yeah, that goes to show that, like, things that you wouldn't necessarily, yeah, think of initially as being a worthy reward can actually, like... Totally. And I think, you know, I think uh, uh, I think a, a rubber swimming hat is probably about three dollars. And let me tell you, I spent significantly more on that one. But I was and I'm delighted. I get, I get a lot of wear and tear out of it. But yeah, I think, you know, they, they gave these really, you know, they figured out really great rewards, really fun. They had kind of pictures of photographs of Oliver Sacks's bookshelves. So they had these, they, they, they had these, they email people shelfies, <laughs> kind of like, you know, look at like, oh, what's you know what did Oliver Sacks have on his shelves mm. they took all of the like many of the elements actually speaking of elements he's he had a real preoccupation with the periodic table mm-hmm. and so they kind of they took these sort of elements of him and his life and his interests you know his swimming the periodic table all of this and they turned them into rewards and and like I was just really inspired another great one a, a documentary was the Joan Didion documentary which actually fundraised uh, a little before I got to Kickstarter but Is that the centre one Hold, yes, exactly. The Centre Will Not Hold by Griffin Dunn and um, and Annabelle Dunn, and and I just really liked that team. I I um, I guess the film came out maybe a year or so after I started working at Kickstarter, and and I hosted a screening for them, and and again they just did a great job mm-hmm. with with those rewards. They kind of took elements of her life and her work and her personality, knowing that people who wanted to back the campaign would be really super into Joan Didion. So like a lot of, you know, Didion themed uh, rewards, scans of handwritten notes or like, you know, lists of book, her book recommendations, this sort of thing. So again, they wove her into those, into those rewards. What is it about crowdfunding that excites you? I think whenever there is 
you know, a bunch of, you know, really established ways to make work, uh, to, to, to fund and make work. What's really exciting is the alternatives, you know, the alternatives to those sort of uh, conventional establishment, you know, uh, methods with all of their kind of gates and gatekeepers. And I think what's exciting about something, you know, a tool, a tool like Kickstarter is that it, it allows people to take control of their own, of their own method of, um, sort of their own means of production, I guess, just allowing people to dictate when they're going to get their money, how they're going to get their money, you know, um, how they're going to communicate their story, and and I mean the story of their film and the story of their own their own sort of way of being in the world. It means you're not at the behest of you know this film institute or that grant making process whose whose cadence doesn't quite fit in with when you want to shoot your film it's like no i'm going to make you know i'm going to i'm just going to do this myself on my own schedule one filmmaker who does this i feel like who lives that brand just kind of beyond beyond is gary hustwit who has made a bunch of films like helvetica and urbanized i mean he also i mean he's a true entrepreneur mm-hmm. He makes he he owns a I think a guitar you know a guitar brand that makes guitars he you know he has made beautiful uh, I mean he's done everything basically sort of film film director film producer musician it's he's remarkable and he just like he goes his own way he doesn't even just simply you know fund things himself and then jump on a traditional distribution track he does it all himself he's like not interested in being part of that mainstream track and i feel like he's like a true sort of poster boy for um for this method and and for a kind of a non-traditional way of making and distributing work and how has kickstarter changed since you've been there and where would you like to see it go whilst you're there yeah i think i mean i've I think probably the thing that I've really enjoyed kind of diving into is is short films, actually. Mm. Kickstarter is a really exciting platform for short films because you can raise, if not if you're not raising your entire short film budget, you may well be rise, raising a significant portion of it. Mm. So it, for me, that's been really exciting. I have found myself, you know, going to way more short film blocks at film festivals, um, getting to know film, you know, shorts filmmakers. You know, and sometimes that short film is a a kind of stepping stone, you know, on their way to making features. Sometimes it's not. It's like it is the format that the filmmaker most enjoys. So I think one thing that I have really enjoyed kind of engaging with and trying to grow more of on the platform is is short films. I think it's, you know, it's such an exciting, it's an exciting tool at often and a really exciting kind of career stage for filmmakers. And again, kind of like, yeah, you might be... Uh, young or you know relatively um, early in your career you don't necessarily have a ton of kind of industry contacts and so I feel like it, it, it can be a really good marriage of filmmaker career stage format you know to get kind of to get projects made so that's probably been the thing that I guess like the thing that I have enjoyed that I've enjoyed discovering and also growing on the site. Yeah, I've seen like a definite swell in like the attention that short films are getting, and I don't know whether that's just because we're used to like bite-sized content now, and so we don't 
like care about a runtime like yeah well, like, you know I think also I think you know like a couple of distributors have started showing short films or not started I know that people have done this and, and they used to do it more mm-hmm. but you know Neon shows some shorts before features we had this great short fundraise two years ago uh, called Hair Love by a, a former NFL player Matt Cherry who's now a film director and he wanted to make a story about a young black dad doing his daughter's hair for the first time mm. and the thing like took off he set out to make he set out to raise $75,000 he made almost 300000 and in the meantime so this was almost exactly two years ago the film is currently showing ahead of Angry Birds 2 in the cinemas in the US which is just kind of amazing. Yeah. He's got this like national um, distribution deal. Fantastic. The film is being seen by, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And it's, you know, and it was a short on Kickstarter two years ago. So I think, you know, that element of things has been pretty exciting. I think I think lots of, um, you know, production companies and studios recognize that short films is a great testing ground for new and upcoming yeah, filmmakers. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, so I'm excited for, for instance, whatever the feature that Matthew Puccini makes. He he fundraised. He's fundraised for a couple of films on Kickstarter, but most recently Lavender, which was at um, Sundance this year, which is now being, you know, which was I guess it was acquired by Fox Searchlight. So I'm excited. You know, it, he's like kind of one to watch. It's come up through that through that route. And are there any current trends that you're noticing in crowdfunding and campaign? I mean, I think. Um, what we have seen is we have seen a, a slight contraction in the number of projects, film projects raising funds, mm. but we have seen um, an increase in the success rate. So I think what's happening is filmmakers are being much more discerning about what's going to do well on the platform and maybe what's going to be a bit more of a struggle. And they are doing a much better job of preparing the way and being realistic about, um, okay, what is a good amount for instance that they can raise so that's kind of again that's sort of exciting is this sort of I guess it's like tightening up of the of the model you know meanwhile our site is getting better and better and we are getting better and better at kind of educating people before they run campaigns so this so I I, you know yeah the kind of contraction added plus the 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 kind of significantly higher success rate is probably the kind of I mean it's subtle it's very under the hood you wouldn't Mm. notice it you know just from looking at the site but but you know that's the kind of stuff that we want people you know we want people to have a great experience and to get what they need and to make the work that they are dreaming of and so those kind of like subtle numbers shifts actually are kind of a big deal for us yeah really meaningful and you mentioned that you travel a lot um to festivals around the world how do you manage your time and avoid like burnout it's you know it's quite tiring (laughs) in my first year i was so excited to be able to go to so many film festivals and i like really went at it Mm. my colleague my colleague liz who um had been doing the job for a while was like I hope you're going to be all right, pal. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's great. And at the end of a year, kind of a year, year and a half of doing loads of it, I realised what she was saying. But it's tricky because there's so many wonderful festivals and and different festivals offer quite different kinds of interactions and, you know, uh, programme different kinds of work. And I love going to a couple of the regional um, film festivals in the US, but then it's good every so often to come to kind of like a TIFF or a... I mean, I go to Sundance every year, but, you know, I come to some of the bigger ones because they just have a different kind of programming. So, but also being at film festivals does mean it makes it a bit harder to kind of do that 
um, more intense filmmaker support. I just had to kind of I have to slightly judge it on a case by case basis. There are some that there are some festivals I definitely will go to, and then there are some that I kind of maybe I'll alternate year on year off. Yeah. I just try and basically do one thing a month and not more than that. This is an exception because it's September and every you know the film the festival circuit woke up. Yeah. You know, and everything's happening simultaneously. So this is a bit of an intense one. But um, but on the whole, just try and keep it to one trip a month. You mentioned the programming at TIFF. Um, what do you love about this festival? It's big and it's glitzy and you can get into everything, you know, it's so, yeah. which is great. You know, I, not all festivals are like that. And so this one's great for seeing a lot of stuff. If your schedule allows, then you can really pack it in, you know, a festival like, I don't know, like South By, where you're probably going to have to spend a decent portion of time lining up before the film just kind of knocks out some of your day. Yeah. So that's kind of, it's like the, the scale of it, the scale of the productions and the fact that you can kind of like, I mean, for those public screenings and the fact that in those P&I screenings, you can kind of really back to back them. And is there anything you're particularly excited to see? Either here at TIFF or later in the year by a woman filmmaker? Yeah, I really want to see the Barbara Koppel documentary. Uh, Old Habits Die Hard and the doc section is always going to be the section that I look to first. <laughs> you know, see what that team, what Tom and Dorota and everyone have, have programmed. So so I, I hope very much that it can fit in with my schedule yeah. in the next 48 hours. Elise, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. Seeing as this interview was about crowdfunding, I thought I'd mention that I do this podcast for free and I rely on word of mouth and kind mentions on Twitter to boost my download numbers. So if you liked what you heard, please do rate, review and subscribe on iTunes and tell all of your filmmaking pals about this rad new podcast that they should be listening to. Thank you and have a good week. Mm-hmm.